Hi, uh, welcome to Visceral Reflections. This is Tom, and Happy New Year. It's January something or other. Uh, January, oh, January 12th. Um, I don't know where the time goes. Uh, anyways, I hope everyone's off to a good uh, New Year. And um, uh, tonight we're going to... Uh, continue our sidebar discussion. We have been talking about identity and origins, which is our sidebar discussion on our surrender topic. And what I want to do is I told you we're going to talk about epistemology, faith and doubt. And so we're going to start that tonight. And I have a feeling it's going to be two episodes. The reason being is that the topic is heavy in philosophy. And, but before we get into that part of it, uh, I want to talk about the Christian worldview so that we have a foundation, a platform and a framework by which those other things can um, be couched in. So, so that's what we're gonna do is um, go ahead and uh, get into that portion of it so that we can uh, have a better grasp of it because it's not as simple as a um, typical f- uh, philosophical discussion because biblical, our biblical worldview is not limited to that. And so I thought it would be better if we had a little bit more of a foundation uh, for this you know, as we're talking about uh, visceral truth and, um, you know, taking our faith um, to be unwavering, is it's the goal, even though that won't always be. Um, I, I am going to talk a little bit about faith and doubt tonight. And, um, but I wanted to really... Um, put up some guardrails um, for the Christian worldview so we really understand what we're, we're talking about as we get into um, the more of the philosophical aspect of it. So, um, and, and that part's important because I consider that um, pre-evangelism. Those are conversations um, in apologetics where we are going to uh, help people who are truly seeking um, uh, remove barriers to faith. And a lot of times those are intellectual barriers that they need to overcome. They're often legitimate by people who are actually seeking God. And I think we know by now if they are seeking, then God's calling them. Uh, that's why I, I started with the song there by Twyla Paris on called uh, Faithful Men. 
because um, ultimately it's the Lord who calls and, um, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear. So then he comes forward, uh, responds to the call. Um, in that response, though, uh, there is uh, a legitimate place for the apologetic conversation. So um, so that that's what we're probably going to do next time, because I, I, I don't think that... I don't think we're going to squeeze that in here. Um, there's a few things that we need to understand. Uh, first of all, if, we, if you're, um, when we talk about a worldview, a worldview is <laughs> really very, very simply defined as how you view the world or how you view reality. So when we look at worldview, um, you know, depending on, you know, your, the glasses that you, through which you see the world, um, you could look at um, an event or a data set or something like that. And then your beliefs are going to um, interpret what you see or how you see. So we have to get to a place, a place of uh, defining truth and having that... Um, uh, be objective that that truth is a truth that transcends time and space. Um, so it's true in any context. So, um, in talking about the Christian worldview, uh, before we get into that, um, uh, I want to go through a couple passages just so that we can uh, get a clear understanding of of what our position is. Um, uh, and two things I'm going to mention before we get into that. Uh, one is um, spiritual warfare. Um, that is something that's never been never brought up in in philosophical discussions, but it's something that is reality and part of the Christian life. And so that's something we need to be aware of because that is part of our worldview. And in addition to three-dimensional reality, you know, we believe in, in the spiritual dimension as well, or fourth dimension or multi-dimension. Um, so I think that's important to be aware of as you engage in these conversations. You know, um, in the screw tape letters, uh, C.S. Lewis writes um, as um, uh, screw tape writing to Wormwood, uh, he says that the enemy, referring to God, um, always wants them to focus on the task at hand. And our job is to get them to focus on what will happen to them. So get them to worry, get them to have anxiety, get them to have fear. And, um, you know, I think that's um, a, a powerful message from that book because that's how the enemy operates. You know, we know um, our spiritual adversaries are always pointing the finger. They're accusing and um, using um, anything they can to attack and uh, belittle us, let us think that we're not worthy and so on. So uh, a lot of aspects to spiritual warfare, Um, but we just need to be aware of that in, in this conversation. So... Uh, the second thing I wanted to point out is that, um, you know, the uh, popular verse uh, about the heart is in uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful and incurably wicked. So, um, with the condition of our hearts and our sin nature, we need to... Um, be mindful of those things, have incredible discernment, uh, filter everything through the Word of God, and then also uh, using our mind and um, our logic to um, process this information. So I wanted to make sure that that, that was on our radar. Um, and then... Um, uh, the two passages we're going to go through, I'm going to start in Acts 17 and then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Okay, so Acts 17, starting at verse 16. Um, I, lo I love the language here. It says um, that um, as Paul was in Athens, the uh, spirit uh, in him was being provoked when he saw uh, the city full of idols. So um, anyways, I, I like that because, um, well, you know, I, I think we all know what it's like to be provoked when someone is on our last nerve or someone's talking trash or you hear gossip or some nonsense. Um, it, it's a little like that, but it, it's a sense of anxiousness to uh, get the truth out, to set the story straight. And um, so that's what he's talking about here because he's like, okay, look, at the city is full of idols and... Um, you know, so it's the worship of false gods. So he knows there's some work there to do. Uh, then he, um, so he goes in the synagogue and he is actually, um, uh, the scripture says he's reasoning with them in, in the synagogue. Um, you know, some of the philosophers, they were, they were mocking him. Um, you know, there'll be mockers. We, I think we've all seen the mockers. Um, but it's also, that's a testimony. Uh, if, if we, if we've been mocked for our faith, that's, that's a good thing. So, um, I kind of welcome that at this point. Um, it says he's proclaiming strange gods because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So, um, I think this is important, um, because he's in the heart of Greek philosophy and worldly wisdom and, uh, he's just giving them the gospel. And I like that from an apologetic standpoint because there are so many... Uh, we're always... I, I feel like a lot of times we're inventing ways to kind of uh, hopscotch around the truth. And Paul's just like, well, I'm not going to be drawn into that nonsense and I'm just going to give you the gospel. So I like that. Um, and, um, you know, in apologetics, there's generally two schools of thought. Uh, classical apologetics and presuppositional apologetics and the classical kind of takes the sort of the long way to the same destination as you get engaged with um, a lot of the non-biblical arguments for God and uh, other arguments from reason and and so on um, and, and and that's fine there, there's some value to that but the presuppositionalist is, is hey, I'm going to um, stand on the power of the word of God and the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm actually going to just um, step into what the Bible says. And so as we're going to see in these two passages. So I think that's important that Paul's just like, you know, it says the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers were there, you know, which um, those are kind of from the... Uh, um, the hedonistic philosophy um, thought of that day. And so um, they were all about worldly pleasures, but they sort of esteemed themselves on, well, yeah, we get drunk, but we get drunk on fine wine, you know, that sort of arrogance. Um, um, but anyways, as Paul is going through here, um, you know, he confronts them, they, they engage in conversation, and then... Um, he calls out in verse 23, you know, that you have a lot of idols, but you also have one to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, let me proclaim this to you. Uh, the God who made the world and all things in it, creation, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually like that verse because I always point that out when, when uh, I've been in a lot of churches over the years where they've got these special funds and they're, oh, we want to raise $10 million for a new sanctuary or things like that. I'm like, oh, well, God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. You know, why don't we meet outside? Um, you know, our, our, our buildings are nice, but, you know, sometimes I think we overdo it. Um, uh, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed time and the boundaries of their habitation. So God actually put us in the countries where he wants us, at least at the outset. 
uh, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And, um, and we know that um, from other scriptures, Psalm 139 and Matthew 28 and Hebrews 4.13 and so on. But the, the Lord is, is near. He's with us always in everything we do, whether we acknowledge him or not, no matter what we're doing, the Lord is right there. For in him we live and move and exist, or live and move and have our being is um, something that is often uh, translated that way. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. So uh, this this verse right here is talking about uh, Christian ontology. I, I actually wrote an article about that on the website. And um, so... Uh, this is the uh, the crux of our worldview, that in him we live and move and exist. Being then the children of God, verse 29, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and thought of man. So here uh, Paul gives credence to the fact of divine revelation and the fact that God is transcendent, that he's not part of creation, that he's separate from creation. So in verse 29, that's jam-packed. This is where would be a supporting text for Christian theism or a Christian monotheism, if you want to get formal. Um, but which of uh, theism just simply says that God made the world, but he's distinct from the world. And we'll talk about that next time, but that's an important thing to understand. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So, Paul goes in right here and just gives them the gospel. He says the the Lord has revealed himself and he's overlooking the times of ignorance as the mercy of God and declaring to all men the proclamation of the gospel to people everywhere should repent. That means recognition of your sin and turn from your sin because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness um, through the man, Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Um, so right here we see obviously the the resurrection um and i've said this before um christianity is the only belief system in the world in all of all of human history all of history in which our primary truth claim is historically verifiable and is a miracle so please remember that that's uh, acts 17:31 and that's an important part of this whole conversation as we'll get deeper into that in this episode and the next one. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we shall hear you again concerning this matter. So Paul went out of their midst. So I wanted to start with this passage because this really gives us the Christian worldview where we understand who we are, how we got here, who God is, and what God's redemptive plan is. So this is our worldview here in Acts 17, verse 16 through 31. And essentially it's the gospel. So um, I want to make sure that we understand that as, um, you know, as our foundation, as we get into this conversation on epistemology, which uh, again, epistemology is the um, study of knowledge and um, and then we, of course, we define knowledge as truth. And so how do we know something is true and the knowledge is valid? And that's what the study of uh, what epistemology is. So as we get into truth and faith and doubt, um, these are important conversations. And what I'm trying to do is, is give us a framework for the, the last part of this sidebar, uh, which is on the worldview of, of, uh, evolution and atheism because uh, once we're done with that um, we can continue on our discussion on the importance of um, having our faith rooted in 
um, the conversation on surrender and abiding. So, um, uh, you know, when we look at um, uh, what what these worldviews are, here it's here's something that think about this in your own faith journey. What is your Christian formation been to this point? And what is your pre-Christian formation? And those things are important because it helps us get some visibility into how our thinking has been shaped. So, um, by way of example, um, I became, uh, I received saving faith and became a Christian, started identifying myself as a Christian at the age of 19. And... Uh, part of that, I was uh, raised in the Roman Catholic Church, and um, there was a lot of, I would say, pre-Christian formation in those years, as I learned a lot of uh, important things that have impacted my entire life. Even though during those years, um, I did not have saving faith, I was aware of the gospel, I could tell you about it, I had served in church, and... um, you know, probably the two um, most formative uh, things that came out of those years for me as as a child and a young man was number one, um, my understanding of the institution of marriage and, and the sanctity of it and my reverence for it. And number two, um, my understanding that God created the world, special creation in six literal days. And rested on the seventh day, exactly as Genesis um, came. So those two things were really embedded into my being and my character as as a as a child and a young man, and uh, and those things have served me well uh, for the most part in in my life. So um, so think about what your um, Christian formation has been to this point and what your pre-Christian formation has been. The reason I share that is to share this. Um, (laughs) Sorry. I invested in a straw so that I could drink water while we're talking so you don't have to hear me drink. And um, I'm not doing a very good job of it. I don't know why I just told you that. But um, uh, fast forward for me to uh, 10th grade biology. And I recall, you know, I'm not a believer at this point, but I get into a conversation as we're starting to study evolution. And, um, you know, so, you know, I was a um, curious kid, so I asked questions. And I, you know, I had a a teacher who would, you know, uh, really get upset with me because I was just like, well, if, if what we're being taught here is true, then what I learned at Sunday school is not true. So, um, you know, I kind of went that route. So um, I'm, I'm sure I was annoying, uh, but at the time I was very curious to say, okay, well, what you're telling me is that everything my church says is wrong. And um, so at one point he sent me to detention because he started my questions. But those conversations provoked in me, like Paul in verse 16 of Acts 17, uh, they provoked a curiosity in me that I wanted to understand. Um, uh, At the same time, I had a friend um, in high school, and she was praying for me every day. And she prayed for me every day for like three years. And so I didn't understand the magnitude of that until later, uh, after I received saving faith. Um, but as I look back now, I can understand the power of her prayer, the importance of the, that early precursion formation and leading up to the events that stirred my heart to want to understand the truth. And so, um, you know, this kind of uh, burned within me and, um, and there's there's more to the story, um, you know. So I, I ended up um, hearing the gospel and, and uh, receiving faith my first year of college. But 
um, there was a four-year journey prior to that and a precondition work of, I would say, I don't know, another 10, 15 years before that. So, but this was the the path by which the Lord brought me along. And, you know, only now I can reflect and I can see it's very clear to me. Now it's been clear to me for years, actually, but I, I recall um, that God's hand was moving in my life during those years. And of course I was, had no idea. Um, so I think it's important for us to think about that in terms of these conversations, because as we talk about faith and doubt and truth, and as we seek to bring the gospel to people in our circle of influence, these are things that by understanding the, the completeness of our story, that we can look at their story and get some visibility into it. And, um, you know, I um, had some experiences even this week um, where I was under, you know, people were telling me a little bit about their lives and I got to know them a little bit better. And um, as a result of that, um, you know, was able to to give them a, uh, each a Bible and, um they were really moved by that and they had never had one before. I just assumed everyone in America had a Bible, but I'm learning more and more that that's just not even close to being true. Um, uh, but it was the recognition of their story that, that helped me advance the conversation, uh, to that place. And then now, um, providing a little guidance for them on, on what to read. So, um, so anyways, I would encourage you to do that and maybe, t- you know, take a, take some time, take an afternoon and get your journal and write your, write out, write out your story. Um, uh, because that's going to help give you visibility into, uh, your journey where you're at. You may write some things that you forgot about or that are, you maybe you thought are insignificant, but then you realize, okay, that was, I can see God's hand in that now. Um, and there may be parts of your story that don't make sense. I've certainly got some parts of my story that I'm waiting for visit, for clarity on. Um, but, you know, I don't dwell on those. And they don't hold me back from pursuing the things that God's calling me today to prepare for. Um, for the next uh, chapter of my life or whatever he has planned. So anyways, I just wanted to share that with you. Um, on our Christian formation and our pre-Christian formation. Um, so I hope, hope that understand here in my story, I hope that helps you write your story a little bit more clearly. Um, the second thing I wanted to talk about was faith. We talked before faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Um, and, um, we know from Hebrews 12 that, um, the Lord Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And we know from Philippians 1, 6, uh, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And we wanted to marry those two verses together, um, in, um, uh, Hebrews 12.2 and Philippians 1.6 and of course um, Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Um, so I wanted to do two things here. One is the the recognition that we, we know that we're never going to be made perfect in this world but our transformation um is going to happen, you know, when we come in to, when we depart this world, we come into the presence of God. So, um, Philippians 1, 6, that promise that he'll be faithful to complete it. Um, though there's gonna be a lot of work done in us here, but when we, um, step into eternity, that's when our, we're going to have our full transformation. And, um, and then of course we get our, our resurrected bodies at the resurrection. So, um, the reason I, I share that 
is um, uh, so a discussion that happened uh, regarding, as I've shared previously, I had some uh, good friends of mine um, pass away unexpectedly this past year. And um, so, uh, and we're talking about one of them specifically, um, you know, some of the things that were um, a lot of good things going on in his life. <laughs> and it's like, um, Lord, I, you called me home and I'm not, I'm not done yet. There's, there's things to do here. And only time is going to reveal the, um, the purpose in that. Um, so even though there was a lot of pain, a lot of pain will surface from time to time for years and, um, for, you know, especially for his wife and children and then, um, and those of us who were close to him, but, um, the reason I say that is that, you know, um, the Lord's plan and our plan, uh, um, are not always aligned, um, but, um, in that discussion, we got talking about faith and doubt. And, um, one of the things I think is important is that doubt is, I think, a necessary condition of saving faith. And I had written, uh, I, I always refer to articles that where I wrote stuff and I don't remember where I read it. I need to get better at that. Um, I think the, um, article I wrote was on the assurance of salvation and the silence of God. I'm going to need to check that, but I, I believe that's what it was where I, I've arrived at a place in my faith journey where if someone has never doubted their salvation, then I silently might question their salvation and where I don't want to be the judge. Uh, I do want to be discerning, um, and make sure that somebody is on the right path and growing up in the faith. However, um, I've just seen a common denominator in, um, some of the strongest believers I know and people who poured into me and folks I admire and, um, some of the teachers I admire, uh, my mentor and past mentors, we have all doubted our faith. And I think I shared previously about Billy Graham. Uh, sometimes I like to listen to his old sermons and he's got his uh, foundation has a website up now where they played those. And there's one where he talks about how he doubted his salvation. And, um, you know, this is very human thinking, but can you imagine if the world missed out on Billy Graham? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, what if, um, but I think that's important. You know, we have stories about the prodigal son. We have stories, um, well, we know, uh, we mentioned doubting Thomas. Now imagine that you are, um, there with Jesus and you're talking to the post-resurrection Jesus, and you're still not believing. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, so that that gives you a, a picture into the human heart. I had spoken previously, uh, or I earlier had quoted um, Jeremiah 17, 9, about how our, our hearts are deceiving. And I think we need to uh, understand. I, I look at Thomas, and I'm like, thinking, well, wow. Sin is uh, wicked. It's powerful. It's more powerful than we know. Our sin nature is capable of all sorts of ungodly things. And uh, unbelief or doubting is part of it. But I think, well, not I think, I know, we need to look at faith and doubt as a teeter-totter. I, I talked earlier about the teeter-totter of surrender and abiding. Well, here's another one, the teeter-totter of faith and doubt. Um, in fact, in his book, uh, The Reason for God, uh, Tim Keller writes that uh, doubt is the antibody uh, to faith. So, uh, or doubt is to faith when antibodies are to the human body. And um, it's a compelling point because 
uh, we have to, um, uh, we don't, uh, we don't blindly accept things. We, we question things. And I think questioning things is good. Um, another part of that is spiritual warfare, which I already mentioned. Through spiritual warfare, there is going to be a lot of doubting. And I know for a fact, and I share this with you, just being a little bit vulnerable, is, um, you know, I remember um, uh, there was a lot of spiritual warfare uh, in one situation I had where I, where I actually walked away from uh, from church. And I made the, the error of blaming God for what people do. And then I started to doubt God and, you know, and just think about that. We talk about having a relationship with God. Um, you know, how would it feel um, if somebody is wrong by another person, and, but then they're doubting you? I was like, why are you blaming me? Um, so I know it's sort of a, a crude analogy there, but, um, I want to shine a light on that because, um, you know, I had been in some Christian circles where there was no safe space to doubt. Everyone was trying to out holy each other. And uh, I'm like, all right, I'm done. I don't care anymore. Screw this. This is exhausting. You guys are all fake. Screw this. And if, um, you know, and I know folks have, have been in places like that. I, I That's why I love the, the, the Michael Card song, The Silence of God, because he talks about all the mountaintop Christians in that song and all the people who are just so happy and we've nailed our troubles to the cross and yada, yada, yada. And, but the, the truth is, is that, um, Acts 14, 22 is that the, the road to the kingdom is paved with sorrow and pain and suffering. And that's a tough verse. It's a tough verse for us, for me. And the road to the kingdom is, is never said that it's going to be easy and there's going to be doubting. Um, you know, I look at the apostles, um, they all scattered when Jesus um, got arrested and put on trial and was being crucified. And, you know, these are, these are the ones you pick. Remember, Jesus said, hey, I picked you. Even the one who used the devil, I picked all of you. Um, and they were there. They saw him walk on water. They saw him uh, feed 5,000 with um, a couple of loaves and fishes. And uh, even Peter denied him three times. Peter walked on water um, with Jesus. And then, um, then, of course, he panicked and he fell in the water, took his eyes off Jesus, and he fell in the water. Um, but um, we need to look at those examples and understand the, the true condition of our heart and um, not beat ourselves up when we're doubting. Um, so I think that is something that we need to, um, recognize and we need to look at, that's why we need to be in the Bible. That's why we need to be reading scripture. Moses. <laughs> All right. Moses is talking to God, talking to a burning bush and, and the Lord says, go to Egypt. And he said, I'm really not up for this. I'm not capable. It's like, Really? Um, you know, and then he, you know, can you, can Aaron go with me? Cause maybe he could do talking for me. I'm like, oh boy. But you know, that's, that's us. That's who we are. Gideon is like, um, you know, Hey, you're, you're, you're dwindling down my army. We're not going to win. He had zero faith that God was going to come through for him. And we do that. Uh, Isaiah 22, 11, um, talking about the reservoir. He's like, you guys didn't even take into consideration the fact that I'm the one who planned it long ago. Just, you know, so, you know, we're always leaving God out of the equation. We're always doubting God. We are always um, not confident in his ability. 
and thank God for his faithfulness and that he's faithful even when we're faithless. Because if he wasn't, we'd all be screwed because we, frankly, we all do it and we've all been there. And it's, um, it's something I want us to understand because if, if I'm beating a dead horse here, um, well, endure, because this is something that is, if we're going to grow up in the faith, we need to understand this because it is also overcoming these, um, these, um, times of where faith and doubt are at odds and there's a struggle that we have to um, work through those things and endure and sometimes uh, they could be years and and we don't know um you know there was um famous atheist uh, Bertrand Russell wrote the book why I'm not a Christian he was raised a Christian, but became world famous for being a mathematician and then being an atheist. But he, on his deathbed, and they asked him, you know, suppose you're wrong. Suppose there is a God. You know, you wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian. Um, so, you know, if, say God is there as soon as you leave here in a, you know, in a couple of days, um, how are you going to explain your life to him? And he says, well... I suppose that I will try and stand on the fact that I've tried to live my life by the golden rule and do unto others as have them do under me, unto me. So even this world-famous atheist, whose books still do damage, he was hoping to be justified by the, by the words of Jesus Christ. I think that's significant because um, I, I know his story and I, um, it makes me sad to just, uh, as we understand the condition of the human heart and uh, what we're up against. So, um, um, anyhow, I wanted to, to shine a light on that, uh, for this next part, we are going to quickly go through second Corinthians chapter one, um, so I'm going to start at verse six, and this is about the wisdom of God uh, versus the wisdom of man. So if you want to go back and read First Corinthians one eighteen through the end of chapter two, I think that would be a good thing to do because um, it all talks about understanding um God's ways are not my ways. The wisdom of the world is foolish, foolishness to God. You've heard me make uh, comments about conventional wisdom. And I really, really, really have um, uh, animosity when I hear this stuff being mixed in with godly wisdom. Um, or when I hear you know, preachers, you know, use pop psychology or even not even preachers, you know, even our friends who are supposed to be believers, but they're passing along the latest garbage that they found on social media or whatever magazines they're reading or whatever. And I, I just recognize it more and more. Um, and so I just want us to, um, be more discerning and understand passages like this and, uh, actually take the word of God seriously and be able to discern, you know, um, as we pray for ourselves and pray for our, our loved ones and our circle of influence, that we pray for this type of wisdom, that we pray like Solomon prayed, to, that we would have wisdom so that we can make decisions that are in the best interest of the people. And uh, I think we need to pray that way. And I, I pray that way every morning for my family and my my friends and everyone in my inner circle that we would be able to discern these things and we would take everything we hear that day and put it through the word of god filter and you know and it's a hard thing i've had to help tell people that i hold in very high regard and um people who have taught me and just say okay i think you're wrong here and here's why and uh, we've gotten a little lazy in our discernment and what sounds good and what tickles our ears. But let's just get back to the Word of God and not be swayed 
by the garbage that rolls into our lives because we are bombarded. And um, I don't mean to sound harsh here. And I'm just very passionate about this because I've just um, seen how gossip and um, and just even good and well-intentioned teachings that are just anti-God, um, you know, impact my life or the lives of people I love. And so... So th- this is really important that we get this right. Um, so I'm just going to read this part. Yet, verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age or the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the age of glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this world understood, for if they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And um, verse 9, but just as it written, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Verse 11. For among, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So that right there in verse 12 is all inclusive of our salvation, the truths about God, the attributes of God, spiritual realities, our eternal destiny. Everything is encompassed in that phrase, and God has freely made it known to us. Verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, um, this 1 Corinthians 2.13, this is an important verse for us because this is the point of departure from the next conversation we're going to do when we talk about um, some of the um, tests for truth and the philosophy around um, epistemology and worldviews because um, we are really speaking a message that transcends any of this human thinking that we're going to find in all the philosophies and all of the different worldviews that are not Christian. And so it's important for us to understand this because we want to have pure empathy for the people that we're engaging because um, people are sincere in what they believe and they're genuine in in what they believe. So I've talked to a lot of people, whether other religions or atheism, or even agnostic, and they're just not sure if God's there. And, and we got to express some empathy for them because to them, um, it's true. And it's at this point in their lives, this point in their journey, it's the best thing that they've done. So the Lord has brought these people into our paths so that we can try and provide clarity and remove barriers to faith in this pre-evangelism process so that they have a clear way to receive the gospel. So just understand that, that we are preaching things that are uh, way beyond human wisdom. They don't make sense to the common man. Um, uh, Like I said earlier, um, you know, for 19 years, I was in the Roman Catholic Church and I knew um, uh, the doctrines really well and I knew the liturgy, but... Uh, it wasn't combined with faith. And then, uh, uh, real quick, I'll just share this. I was in my uh, Roman history class at Arizona State University, and a teacher walks in, and he just says, today we're going to talk about Christianity and the Roman Empire. And he's like, I don't care if you believe Jesus rose from the dead or not. We're going to talk about the impact of that on the Roman Empire. And I think that was the first time I heard, Jesus rose from the dead? And it it was like big news for me. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I felt like um, I'd heard it for the first time. And I can look back at that now and it's kind of funny to me. But I made such a big deal about it because um, it was like, yeah, who doesn't know that? 
well, I knew it, but I never really, I knew it in my head. I never knew it in my heart until that day. And, um, and I, obviously that was the, the Holy Spirit revealing to me. Um, but anyways, the rest of verse 13 that we combine, um, the truth taught by the spirit, um, um, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, um, verse 14, but the natural man, that's the person who's not born again, does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. And that spiritual appraisal is something that happens by the Holy Spirit uh, in us. Uh, but he who is, who, but he who is spiritual, I'm sorry, he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who will instruct him? But we, speaking of you and me, we have the mind of Christ. Verse 16. So, if you don't remember anything I've, I just said, remember verse 13 and verse 16. Um, as believers, we have the mind of Christ. Um, and then we can um, look at truth that transcends human wisdom, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, let me couch that for you. Because those are spiritual realities and those are truths about who we are as um children of God, people who are born again, we have regenerate spirits. However, we're still in the flesh. I I just spent 10 minutes earlier in this hour talking about uh, doubt and uh, the antibodies of doubt, the importance of doubt, and how the the struggle of doubt and how we can um, have those struggles and how God is faithful or faithless. Because we're still in the flesh, and if you want to read about that struggle, um, you can read Romans 7, verse 14 to 25. Uh, actually, read if you read the whole chapter, it won't hurt. But the, 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 the core of that message is verse 14 to 25. And the Apostle Paul uh, talks about, he doesn't even understand. He's talking about the power of the sin nature, the war that goes on be, inside of us. Um, uh, because as long as we're in the flesh, there's going to be this battle. And... Um, you know, I I, I gotta I gotta be honest. Um, this what understanding this really brought me peace and understanding that when my father left this world, um, that I'll see him again in in the kingdom of God. And um, I had to back away from my um, misguided understandings of what the Christian life should look like. And as God has worked on my heart, I've been able to see my dad's heart and retrospect a little bit better. And, you know, as he was so charitable and giving, uh, the way that he loved my mom, um, the way that, you know, I, I, I think about all the, I'm always now recognizing the things he poured into me that at the time I, I didn't realize. And, um, you know, not to, um, be too personal or too transparent, but I just understanding this particular topic really helped me um, know that um, uh, see God's hand in his life and the um, security that he had here and through his struggles and his doubt. And if you knew his story, um, you'd realize that, you know, that it was, you know, he actually has a pretty impressive story um, to get where he got. So, but at any rate, I share that with you because, um, you know, I always want to be careful to make sure I'm not the judge and that we're loving people. Uh, but the Lord did show this to me and I wanted to share that because I think it's important. Um, and, um, you know, our, our security is so beyond our human thinking, um, so beyond what we can imagine. And so, um, but I would encourage you, uh, learn 1 Corinthians one eighteen to two sixteen, and um, and really um, make it um, a discipline in how we think and how we uh, seek to take every thought captive, because um, 
it really is um, uh, important as, as we go on our faith journey. And, we, and we're going to go through many peaks and valleys in our journey. And um, I just wanted to shine a light on that um, because, you know, Jesus is coming back. And, you know, as, as we wait for many things, ultimately, we're waiting for the Lord to return. So, um, anyways, just from a Christian worldview, I wanted to shine a light on these important topics because we're going to build on this on the next episode as we, um, uh, we'll probably just revisit faith and doubt a little bit and then get into the epistemology and the understanding of truth and methods of verification and how to people help people navigate this part of the conversation. And this is also going to be sort of, um, a foundation for evaluating uh, the worldview of of evolution, so that we can look at uh, creation and uh, in the important that's going to play in the whole surrender and abiding conversation that we are in the middle of, and um, um, you know this whole thing has taken much longer than I thought, but um, I, I trust the Lord's timing and. Um, Frankly, everything in my life has taken longer than I thought. So why should this be any different? So um, anyhow, um, I hope that this has value for you. Uh, one thing I, I keep forgetting to mention the email address. Um, I've only mentioned it once or twice. It's info at foundationonknowledge.org. Uh, if you have questions, you can send them there. Um, the Bible plans from the New Year's Eve um episode um are up on the website and um they're um part of, they're up in in part uh, there's parts that still need to be added and ultimately those are going to be converted to uh, downloads um that were pdf downloads so um uh we have a, a webmaster working on some different things there on the back end um to make the site more valuable um but yeah, I think that's that's also the uh, everything that we wanted to cover tonight, or that I wanted to cover. Um, I guess the last thing is in the midst of all of this, just remember that God is sovereign, and His sovereign hand is moving in everything. I did a, an episode on the tapestry of God, and so as these conversations are emerging in our lives. Those are conversations that the Lord has orchestrated. And, um, you know, I just look at um, how the Lord has brought some important uh, relationships in, into my life and um, allowed me to pour into other people as well. And so those are things that we want to just be mindful of. And that um, in this pre-evangelism conversation, we just recognize that you know, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and ultimately God who calls and God who saves. So we are just uh, invited to be a part of that process and praise God for that. So anyhow, I'm going to go ahead and pray here. Um, uh, as I was kind of thinking through this, driving home tonight, um, I thought this might take 20 or 30 minutes, so we're double that. Um but I think, as far as I know, I didn't forget anything that I wanted to cover tonight. Um, so let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word and your spirit and your truth. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would prepare the hearts of anyone who's going to hear this, that this would have some value for them. And that um, that this would dovetail into their faith journey and things that they are dealing with at this point. And that, Lord, I just pray we'd all be mindful of your presence and that we continue to get ready for your your appearance as we know we don't know when that'll be. But you said, you know, like the ten virgins who were prepared, we got to be prepared as well. And... Um, Lord, I just thank you, and I praise you, and I'm grateful, and I just ask for your blessing that you would um, prepare the hearts who, who's going to hear this, and that you would give me some wisdom 
uh, for the next time around so that we could wrap up this part and dovetail those two things together. And Lord, I just um, thank you and I praise you and I'm grateful. And we ask all these things collectively in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Christians by